Hello and welcome to another episode of The Abundant Edge, the podcast all about the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a fantastic interview for you in this episode. So stick around and we will jump right on in. Right, so before we get started, are you looking for a gift for your loved ones in the upcoming season, but don't want to get them some consumer junk that'll just get tossed out in a couple weeks? I know I always struggle to find gifts that will have a positive impact, something that will fill the coming year with the practical and positive solutions that permaculture has to offer. So consider a gift subscription to Permaculture Magazine of North America. From recipes from the garden to useful DIY projects, tips from the pros, and so much more, A subscription to Permaculture Magazine is a perfect way to spread positivity and useful knowledge all year long. Your friends and family will be thrilled to have all this information at their fingertips as they develop their own healthy and regenerative lifestyles. If you order the print version, you'll also receive the 25-year digital archive of the original Permaculture International Magazine from the UK as a free bonus for a limited time only. There's also a digital subscription option for people like me who are always traveling and need this as a resource while we're on the go. Permaculture Magazine is a proud sponsor of the Abundant Edge podcast and here to be a platform to support the voices of the permaculture movement throughout North America. So show your support this holiday season and help to strengthen the permaculture revolution with a subscription today at permaculturemag.org. All right, welcome to another fairly special episode of the Abundant Edge podcast. Today, I will be handing the interview over to my friend and colleague, Neil Haggerty, who recently made a trip up to Alta Vera Paz, which is a province here in Guatemala, to visit the site of our next PDC, which we'll be teaching in January. And he visited Lorenzo Manet, the owner and director of El Porvenir Cacao Farm and producer of Dalileo Chocolates. Now, Lorenzo also has years of experience in productive civil pasture and agroforestry. So, Neil, why don't you tell us a little bit about the interview and your time up there on the Finca. Well, yeah, Oliver, I'm super excited about this interview. Um, Me and Adriana went up there last week for five days to go plan out this course that we're doing, us at the Abundant Edge and and Lorenzo in his uh, his cacao farm. And the place just, it it blew me away. It's a thousand acres of uh, intense agroforestry system, intensive, sorry. I haven't seen anything really quite like this before. It's in the middle of nowhere. One of the hardest places to get to I've ever gone, but it's worth it. Uh, it's up in um, it's up in Alta Vera Pass, out beyond a place called La Tinta, which is called La Tinta because it was the center of indigo production. But you go way up beyond La Tinta and you get um, you get out to this area, and, and Lorenzo has got a thousand acres. Uh, under a system of, he uses successional models, right? So he he recuperates areas and plants a lot of what we would know as initiators or pioneer species. While he plants those, he plants uh, cardamom and he has a whole successive system which eventually leads kind of three years down the line to cacao being planted in the shade of, of cardamom and the bigger, the bigger, mostly wood trees, hardwood trees that he is growing a shade over it. He has waterfalls and cascades and rivers. He processes the cacao with a in an amazing 
um, system cacao needs to be ground for a bunch of time for three days before it can be uh, before it can be properly processed. He has a whole hydroelectric with his own water um, set up to power that and the house. So he's completely off the grid. It really is next level stuff. In the course, we're going to be focusing on uh, on actually building, designing and building a, a, a better zone one and two because he's got his three, four and five nailed. So look, I'm absolutely buzzing after being there. I think you're going to really like the interview. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope we see you up in, uh, in Alta Vida Pass in January if you're listening to this. Yeah, absolutely. And like Neil said, for all of you listening, if you're interested in signing up or seeing more information about the PDC that we're offering, you can go to the website at AbundantEdge.com and click on the Education tab up in the navigation bar, which will show you right to the landing page for the Permaculture Design course. And I myself am really excited to hear this interview, so why don't we turn things over to Lorenzo Manet? Okay, I'm here with uh, with Lorenzo in this amazing permaculture agroforestry paradise up here in Alta Vida Pass. Lorenzo, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, well, thank you for coming. Um, so, if it's okay with you, I think we'll get we'll get right into it, and I'd like to start with you telling me a little bit about your story. How was it that you ended up here? Okay, well. Um... I was born in Quebec City from two linguists, professors. Um, I studied finance. And after a bit uh, of uh, of this, I realized I I was doing something that I didn't really like for uh, for money that I didn't really enjoy spending. And um, so I ended up thinking I was uh, gonna go travel to open my mind. Ended up in um, in Lake Atitlan in San Marcos. Um, where um, I realized that this world was not so mechanistic that I imagined, but there was a subtle side of it um, that, uh, from my background, I had no real clue of it. Um, and it's uh, here in Guatemala that I basically realized that uh, life in a body is not just that. Um, then um, uh, I started, I was always interested by... Um, um, uh, building architecture and design. I have this thing that I can close my mind, my eyes, and see in my mind in 3D, and where the sun comes up and down and the light. So I started building houses in San Marcos and, and uh, swimming in the lake uh, every day. And as I, as the time went by, I realized that the the water of the quality of the water of Lake Atitlan was decreasing. And so I set myself up to this task to figure to to find out why and try to tackle the problem. So I um, I um, I did this little analysis that now everybody knows that we're basically all um, uh, dumping our waste um, in in Lake Atitlan and there is no uh, exit um, uh, of their water, so all the trash and the excrements are staying there. So I got, uh, I raised some money, and built a wastewater treatment plant, um, a prototype for uh, for a thousand people in Le- in San Marcos in the Barrio Two, and I spent years doing this um, to uh, realize that um, working with NGOs, working with uh, municipalities, uh, was much more difficult than I expected and much more frustrating. Uh, 
I wanted to be helpful and feel useful and do something uh, meaningful. And I was finding out that both authorities and people and the general setup was not really receptive to my efforts. So, um, so I decided to do it for myself and found this, um, this land uh, where I could uh, do my dream of planting a forest. Um, so I came here with uh, my, my wife, my Kakchikel wife uh, from San Marcos, uh, and, um, and um, settled this abandoned coffee farm uh, that was pretty barren and uh, that had been extensively um, farmed with uh, with all the chemicals um, and uh, the 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 ways of the 90s and 80s that are pretty detrimental. So and we reclaimed the land, planting on it more than 200,000 uh, trees, and now we are uh, doing this. Um, uh, culture in the shade of the trees, uh, um, which are uh, cacao mostly and cardamom. Um, so yeah, that's that's a good place maybe for my next question. Um, you you replaced the the production of 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 coffee with cacao. So maybe you can talk to me a little bit about why cacao and. Uh, sort of your journey a little bit with that plant and and of course cardamom as well when i arrived to guatemala in 2000 i i started looking for cacao and chocolate at that time um, there was only this what i was what, what i found this horrible drinking sugary uh, cacao to drink and uh, and i was pretty disappointed of not finding good cacao or good chocolate for me, here was the land of cacao, and, and I couldn't find it. And then I settled in this beautiful life at Lake Atitlan and kind of uh, let my cacao ideas uh, in the background and focused on my daily life of, uh, of uh, being a hippie in San Marcos. Um, and then, so when I came and I realized that uh, I really wanted to plant a forest and, and really has this dream of maybe I, it's difficult to help people, but I can help the land and the earth uh, because uh, it's not going to say, no, thank you. Uh, and it's really needed. And, and in by helping and by planting a forest, I know that I... I, I basically help humans without them knowing. Um, I um, So I ended up here with this dream of planting a forest. And then this cacao, this cacao urge, this vision that I had uh, uh, almost a decade before came back. And, and I had this moment of almost... Uh, this Eureka moment where I said, yes, it's cacao and agroforestry and, and doing it together, basically. So, so this what, this is what provided me with the, the vision and, um, um, how to say the financial possibility of being able to plant a forest without having to cut it down to make a living. 
uh, by uh, planting this cacao in the shade, which is perfect for agroforestry because it likes uh, when it's uh, when it's uh, in production, it likes to be about in 50% shade, which is what you would be looking for in a in a in a good uh, forestry system, so that there is enough room for each trees to develop and and really grow in uh, with not so much competition with its neighbors so i figured out that i could do my dream plant a forest many of them uh, of tree many trees and and make a living in a few years producing uh, mainly cacao and then here when i when, when we uh, when we arrived here we found out that uh, uh, Alta Verapaz is the uh, largest ex province, or and Guatemala is the biggest exporter of car cardamom in the world, and it's produced here. And cardamom, believe it or not, likes 80% shade. It's a rhizome that is easy to propagate, um, and uh, uh, and likes a, a lot of mulch, likes uh, to be below uh, a forest. Um, and so because here all the system of uh, of first there are seeds there is uh, buyers it's it's been pretty easy to implement this cardamom system because it grows well and we it's not a big deal to sell it although not uh, very lucrative but because it's an agroforestry system it become it becomes pretty interesting because you can uh, basically pay for your expenses on a yearly basis while your uh, caoba tree is growing. Wonderful. Um, it's so interesting to hear talk, you talk about the Eureka moment because a lot of what we teach in permaculture is to analyze your, your site, the situation you're living in, and at the same time to define your goals. So it's wonderful to hear about somebody who had a goal of reforesting, had an area that was good for growing cacao and then eventually had the convergence of the two which is that eureka moment no so can you just also talk because one of the things that fascinated me being here the last couple of days with you is your story and your passion for preserving the cacao criollo and can you talk a little bit about why that's important to you and i guess what it means to people who maybe aren't as familiar with the plants as you are well, that's a big question. This cacao criollo thing is like uh, 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 you can hear cacao cacao criollo everywhere, and it's very strange because uh, a cacao criollo is uh, almost completely extinct. You can find some of it uh, in some places, but here in Guatemala, it's very you can find just a few trees. Believe me, I've been associated with uh, engineers and um, uh, NGOs and governmental institutions, we've been looking for cacao, criollo trees and found uh, a few dozen. So uh, when someone is saying, I have cacao, criollo, uh, it's good to uh, ask a bit more question about where they've, uh, they're finding it. And please, if you uh, find someone who does have it, please tell me. Um, because we are in this um, this race to to make it revive. Cacao criollo is uh, uh, is a strain of cacao. It's uh, 
It's one of the many strains of cacao, but uh, it is the more tasty and the more uh, looked, sought after by the uh, high-end chocolate makers because its flavor is better, it's not so bitter. You basically can munch on, 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 on cacao beans uh, without spitting them back like you would do other types of cacao. Um, so, so first, criollo. What does it mean, criollo? Uh, everybody says, uh, yes, my, uh, my, uh, my, um, my orange tree is criollo. My dog is criollo. Here, criollo means from here. It's been here for a long time. It's native, native from or here. Or possibly heirloom. It's sort of one of those two, right? But you can have heirloom. Heirloom means that it's been picked from from a from a, a seed and reproduced from a seed in the wild, but you don't know who, who was the father and 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 mother of the seed. So uh, when you talk about cacao criollo, it's a strain of cacao that is defined like a, like a race and as some characteristics that you can find in it and that you can't in others. So cacao criollo uh, is uh, when you when you open the pod and you cut you you first you suck all the flesh which is delicious and this white flesh that surrounds the beans. Then you get to the bean and you cut the bean in two. If it's not white, it's not cacao criollo. So when you're going to go and whatever farm around the world and find a cacao and munch on it and you want to cut the seed in two, you will find it's purple. And the more purple, the more, um, the more, uh, origin it has, the more, the more genetics of the Amazon it has. Because, um, um, cacao from the Amazon, which is called Forastero, is stronger. It is more productive. It is, uh, more resilient to, um, to plagues. But it tastes like, uh, like you don't want to swallow it. Um, so, um, so at the beginning, when, uh, when, I don't know, let's say the beginning in the fifties, let's say, uh, there was a lot of cacao all around the Central America. It was uh, a culture that was uh, traditional, that had been going on for ages, and everybody had some cacao in their yard and, and was uh, enjoying it and preparing it for their own families and selling some extra. It was a very uh, passive uh, culture because the cacao has been had been there and it would give a few pods and anyway the price was not so good but it was okay and and not much attention anyway to the to to the plant so so let's leave it but then came this big plague that is called monilia monilia is a fungus that goes on the cacao pod and eats it destroys it completely to the seed very quickly and is and is uh, being propag and it propagates itself very fast 
So this plague started in the 50s or 60s uh, in the south and and slowly made its way up to Nicaragua, to Guatemala, and is now in Mexico. And so this plague basically wiped out all the cacao that was original from here. And in such a way that people were desperate and saying, why am I keeping this cacao tree there? It's all, I'm growing fungus, you know, because they didn't know how to fight it. They had never paid attention to their cacao. They didn't know about the shade. They didn't know about how to make a good culture of cacao. And so... uh so basically most of the cacao was lost and at the same time the some european countries had brought cacao seed in uh, in africa and started huge extension of uh, of cacao culture so the price came plummeting and uh, and and so it was not worth it to maintain uh, your cacao here in Guatemala or in countries around here. Where it's from. Where it's from, because uh, uh, the French had it in uh, in like per square kilometers in Africa where there was no plague. And they had taken the strains from, uh, from, from the Amazon, so it was very productive. And they basically uh, came to control the market. So after a few decades, um, NGOs and governments started thinking, well, but this is so sad. Um, here, uh, we used to have our own cacao, and now we're buying cacao uh, to for ourselves, and let's try to get cacao back on its feet. So um, because NGOs and governments are not agriculture, and even uh, uh, they're not agri uh they're not ecologists. They're not ecologists. And or they're, agriculture. And they're not agriculturists. And they're even less chocolate makers. They had no idea on how to do it. And so they just looked at the research and found out, well, but this stuff, cacao from the Amazonia, is a good producer. And so uh, us uh, as NGO and government, we have the means to bring the seeds from there and implement it here and make huge... Um, almasigos, which is huge nurseries, and 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 give cacao to these communities, so we can make the cacao come back in this in this country where it's from. What they didn't know is that um, the strains of cacao they brought um, uh, first is not so tasty, as I was saying. And more particularly, its genetic is dominant to the cacao criollo. That means that uh, it's like blue eyes uh, in in a person. If you if you have a, a father and a mother with one brown eyes, one blue eyes, the kid is most probably going to be brown eye. It's the same with the characteristics of cacao criollo. This white seed. It's white and not purple. The difference is a tannin that, that makes it purple. This is the natural defense of cacao 
from the Amazon, making it bitter so that it's more resistant and, and not as tasty to the to the birds and whatnot who are trying to munch on it. So they brought this cacao seeds here, and because the flower of the cacao is made so that it can't auto-pollinate itself and relies on this pollinator to uh, to receive some pollen. And this pollinator is very, um, how to say, it goes everywhere. Promiscuous. Promiscuous, exactly. Uh, which is everything good with cacao. It's very normal. But so uh, this, this, uh, this bug brought the the pollen from the new trees of the Amazon into the old trees of cacao criollo here in Guatemala, even in the ancestral lands everywhere. That's already more than 30 years ago. Nobody realized what was going on till this new uh, um, this new um, how to say fancy and this uh, this um, fashion came to of uh, the bean to bar chocolate and the small batch producers who started to really taste the cacao and say oh this is better this is not as good and realize that actually wow cacao criollo is so superior to this other cacao so I want cacao criollo and and those were saying to their friends cacao criollo so all of a sudden. Everybody was looking for cacao criollo. Everybody was started to claim, ah, my cacao is criollo without even knowing what it meant. Because their cacao had been there for a long time. And who cares if some other cacao had been planted around? They didn't know about the genetics of what was really happening. That even if you have a cacao criollo mother, mother and you have... Uh, 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 on the side, uh, cacao from the Amazon, the seeds of the cacao from the mother is not going to be criollo. It's going to be purple. And so even your cacao, your cacao criollo tree is not producing cacao criollo anymore, even though itself is criollo, but because it has this guy on the side that is pollinating it. Huh? It's a pinche gringo. <laughs> so here the NGO and the government did um, um, a big blunder, like um, many times it seems. And so now... Here in the Sierra de las Minas, where the farm is located by this, the biggest natural reserve in Guatemala, uh, it's been so out of the way for even government and NGO that there is still some cacao criollo because the NGOs were finding it easier to do it, their projects closer to the road, closer to where there is electricity and closer to comfort. Mm. And so, basically, we are finding cacao criollo, and we're trying to reproduce it in, at, um, uh, and make uh, gardens so that we can pollinate by hand this cacao criollo with this one and see what happens, and basically reproduce and, and, and increase the genetic pool of cacao criollo so that Hopefully, in a few years, we're ready to propagate it again in a larger scale. Wonderful. And I guess there's another point in this. It's like, 
to, for a non-ecologist or botanist, it might sound like the cacao criollo is this very sensitive, delicate variety and this introduced species is more robust. But there is more to it than that, isn't there? Because when I go around this, I don't even like calling it a plantation because it's more like a, a wonderland. Uh, I don't see sick, vulnerable looking plants. I see plants that look extremely at home because they're from here. And with good management, I would imagine the longer term would actually be much more robust um, than these introduced varieties, or at least that's how I would read it. Well, I guess we're uh, we're dealing with the survivors here. So, um, so first, many of the trees. I have to come clear with this. Many of the trees are not hundred percent criollo. Here, we we found a bunch of seeds from the more most cacao criollo we could find and we're selecting from there our new generation but from what was left of the cacao criollo the ones that survived were the toughest and so we're left basically when you found actually one cacao criollo it's it's probably like the more most fit huh? so this is what we're reproducing and we hope to have this new cacao criollo that has adapted to this new this new old plague which is monilia and this more uh other plagues that are that are in cacao normally but because they they've not been grafted for generations and generation they've adapted them so you when you're planting a seed a cacao from a seed that uh, from a good mom you have good chances that the seed is going to inherit and uh, the characteristic of being uh, good flavored and a little tougher than than its predecessors that have been wiped out. Yes, you're allowing the evolution, you're allowing the gene pool to evolve along with the circumstances, the plagues, the changing climate, all the rest of it. I think that's a really important um, thing to understand, no? Uh, for me, we're doing uh, ecocides every time we clone uh, a lot of whatever species it is. You know, most Westerners, when you, pretty much all of us, huh? when you go to a supermarket, um, you've probably only eaten one type of banana, one type of avocado, a few types of orange, depending if it's uh, if it's the one for making juice or the one for munching on. It's all clones. That means that they someone found a good tree once and thought wow this is such a good flavor resistant everything is good with this tree let's clone it that's what they've done with has has is actually avocado has is original from guatemala this this guy who found this tree and 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 now all of a sudden you can only find that has, but this is like one individual tree that is being cloned thousands of times. And and obviously its seed, its pollen, is affecting whatever tree is left there, which which would be uh, like the the normal thing that would happen. And so they cross-pollinate and, and, and so we're reducing the biodiversity tremendously. 
we're also fighting against nature because nature is continually trying to get things to go to diversity and we're expending all of this energy to keep things uniform. It's, it's a strange mentality when you step back and look at it like that. Well, it's strange uh, when you look at it in a natural point of view, but from an e economic point of view, it makes sense because if you have a good flavored with a number, you know, this apple uh, number, this and this, which means the clone, then it becomes easier to market. And the buyers and Monsanto of this world can make you a specific produce so that even though your your fruit is being degenerated or basically has not been evolving like all the bugs and all the plagues and everything else that you're not cloning, well, it, you're becoming a good producer, of, a good producer of something specific and a good consumer of uh, of uh, chemicals, you know. Right. So, so everybody's happy in the in this uh, capitalistic world. <laughs> Almost everybody. <laughs> um, okay, so we've talked a lot about cacao, a little bit about cardamom. Um, the thing that strikes me going around this this paradise, you know is how many how many different systems there are. So I'd like if you could talk just a little bit about some of the different systems you manage and the kind of relationship that that are that the relationships that are between those systems. Okay. So first, uh here on the farm we have um different temperature because the low part of the farm is at um, is at 250 meters altitude. And the top part is 800 meters. So there is quite a few degrees difference between the top and the bottom, which gives us different climates. Um, but most of our crops um, can adapt to these different climates because they are the same range. So um, so what we do is, is um, this uh, sequence of planting that I'm finding out that has been working at this, and I still am perfecting it, which is basically planting the trees, planting cardamom, which likes more shade, but is still doing good while the trees are growing and not giving so much shade. And so uh, you're, you're planting your trees, you're planting your cardamom, and after three years, you're harvesting cardamom, which is becoming under shade because the trees are growing and so is producing a better quality cardamom. So as you produce cardamom, the cardamom plant is like a zingeberase, is the family of the ginger. It's a, it's a rhizome. It shoots long and tall um, uh, branches, I would, I would call them and gives shade in between the trees where uh, where the trees are not giving shade. And so while the cardamom is there, it gives you also a good reason to make the amendments of your soil and better your soil. Here we have the chance of having um, a neighbor who has a rice mill and, uh, and in the process, in his industrial process of drying his rice, he burns the rice husk in a way that is that uh, char is produced, it's activated char. So we make biochar um, with our uh, uh, different techniques with uh, with compost tea and 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 other things. 
So we basically are preparing the soil for cacao. While we do that, obviously the trees, uh, they enjoy it tremendously because we, 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 the soil becomes better for them too. Because you're putting down just so much carbon and organic matter and generating leaf litter and you're building up the organic material content in the soil essentially, right? Yes, exactly. And also uh, with char and with um, uh, cal, how you say cal? This lime. Lime. Uh, we we change a bit the pH because it it has been in the past uh, here the soil the tropical soil in general are too acidic, uh, and so while you change the pH while you uh, increase the organic matter and making it look more beautiful your soil, your trees are growing better your cardamom is producing better and you're getting ready to plant cacao, because. I was I was mentioning cacao as um, likes fifty um, percent uh, shade, but actually when it's growing and developing, it likes up to eighty percent shade. So you like to plant it in a in a space where there is a lot of stuff growing above it. So we plant the cacao in between the cardamom, cardamom as a as a productive life of five, four, five years. After that, you need to replant it because the rhizome... Uh, it gets crowded. It, yes. And, and so um, we're, we're planting the cacao in between and when it starts to become at an age where it becomes productive, uh, it's time to get rid of the, of the cardamom. And it's also time to pr to prune and to do entresake, or how do you say, thinning of your uh, tree plantation. So this tree plantation is is you're doing it uh, not because it feels good only, and not just because it's good for the soil and for the birds and for everything. You're doing it also because uh, you want to make a living. Uh, it's it so so there are ways to plant trees that are gonna be productive for the whole period of of time that the trees are gonna be there hopefully generations and generations where you plant them close to one another so that you have to make thinnings every once in a while to 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 promote the the best growth of the best trees so you remove the smaller ones the one that became twisted here you realize that when there is a storm there's actually many trees falling there is uh, moles eating the roots whatever so your density decreases over time which is normal because every tree needs more space and so there, there are techniques to go and select and, and decide, okay, here now I, I have too many trees. The branch of, of the trees are hitting each other at the top. So it's a sign that the roots are also doing the same and in, entering in competition. So, um, so you can cut a few trees here and there to leave more room for the nicest ones. To get let, let more sun come in and and make the cacao happier and more productive, 
And maybe if it's been long enough, your tree has been there, you can make an income from this, uh, from this caoba or this teak or this, uh, uh, local trees that, um, that have strange names. It's wonderful. Um, I'm struck by the contrast between this fighting that's done in conventional agriculture to te- keep everything monotone and this way you've developed of really working with nature because essentially what you're doing here for people who aren't familiar with with permaculture or, or ecology is you're working with successional models right you're using these successional models to build up the soil profile to develop a, a canopy layer and you're you're using it all to your advantage and it's wonderful is one of the things that makes this most inspiring to me is you would think to hear you talk that you're a botanist or somebody who grew up in a in in a forest, but you're not. You have a background in finance, and that I think that could be very inspiring to a lot of people. Um, and it brings me maybe to my put to my next question, which is: We've talked about some of your your future plans and visions for for this place. So maybe you can maybe you can talk a little bit about how it is that you became so knowledgeable about the ecosystem you're living in and what your what your vision is for the future uh, well i guess it's a survival instinct you know <laughs> um so yes i have this background in finance so i know really well that uh, that uh, we live in this capitalistic world and uh, if you don't have a, a piece of paper with a face on it and a number you won't get much uh, for your uh, smile and uh, and things like this, and so you want to um, uh, basically reduce your input of cash and effort uh, in uh, any system and optimize your output. Um, so this is one of the reasons why you do also a succession of crops, uh, because I can't go in a place and say, yes, I'm going to spend thousands of dollars and a ton of money planting trees. I feel so good. And all of a sudden, I don't have cash anymore and and I have to cut down the trees. This is a bit not, it's not productive. So you have to find out a way to um, uh, plant different things and make make your, your succession so that uh, well, for example, here in my case, um, Guatemalan government has this incredible reforestation programs, but they're mainly focused on forestry, but they do some agroforestry. And so, so these guys, they, 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 they're giving me, uh, some cash uh, to, to plant trees. And, and here I am thinking, wow, but this is, you know, uh, it's nice. Thank you very much, but I, I can't, uh, put butter on my bread with this i'm uh, just basically uh paying most of my expenses not even all and i'm not i'm working like crazy and uh, and i want sometimes to buy cheese you know and <laughs> olive oil i can't produce olive oil here so um so here you go with for example cardamom which takes a lot of space and, uh, and gives a lot of shade and is pretty uh, aggressive in its way that it it gives a lot of shade pretty quickly. So if you have shade, you have less input to give because all these jungle things that want to take over your plantation are 
calm down because they're in the shade and so all of a sudden it's another type of grass that's coming that is more close to the ground and you don't have to chop it and all of a sudden everything becomes easier and uh, I don't know what was your question again well my question was um, I guess I was I was interested in um, how you got to this point how you became so knowledgeable and what what now your vision is for for the future of this of this uh, plantation? So there's a lot of people with a lot of knowledge that that have been living here on on in Guatemala and are small scale farmers with with generations of experience. So when you ask them something in general, they 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 come up with an answer. They they've they don't know how to read, but they 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 know from experience so it's not coming from a book but from real life experience so uh because i'm not planting all these trees and maintaining uh all this by myself i have many employees i've been asking them quite a lot and and they they're knowledgeable and it's a knowledge that combines very well with what you can read and what you what the permaculturist can teach you and combining this with with the real um, life here on this space um, the experience then you can come up with something uh i don't know if it's unique because i haven't looked uh, everywhere else um, but it's um, it, it came up by itself in a, with this mix of different knowledge and this different uh, source of knowledge so where we're we going soon you're gonna see your chocolate and cacao uh, close to you. Uh, I don't know where you are, but uh, you basically we selected this farm because it also has a lot of hydroelectric potential. What you might not know is that cacao making chocolate is very energy consuming. It requires a lot and a lot of grinding even the industrial big guys they they have huge grinders and it stays for days and 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 to make a fine chocolate here in guatemala we don't have subsidies for energy like most of the western countries so we uh at and we here there's there was not real road when we came there is still no electricity to plug into, so we had to produce our own electricity. We built a, a small hydroelectric system that powers our stone grinders, so that we basically have free once once I forget the pain of paying for the installation in the first place. We have free electricity, <laughs> so uh, we use it, use it, and use it to grind chocolate. Uh, we hope that now that production is uh, is kicking on, kicking off, mm-hmm. uh, we hope to uh, be able to uh, come out of our little jungle and and show off our chocolate that is really tasty and pretty unique because of its strengths and the way it's produced. You and I have also talked a lot about um, this course that we're both very excited about, um, this permaculture course in which we're going to showcase a lot of your techniques, but also design and implement uh, 
a food production system on some land that you've got close to the living centers. Um, and we really are hoping to to start with this coming PDC in, in January to develop a kind of a, a permaculture design curriculum that's that really is unique, no? And so maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Well, uh, there's so much potential here. Um, uh, you, Neil, and, and, and we have a lot of knowledge. Um, I think here we did enough of our homework so that we're ready to to uh, show what we've done, keep on learning from uh, whoever is going to come with new come up with new ideas. But but we need to inspire this new generation of capable people who can actually do it for themselves too, and hopefully not make the same very costly mistakes that I made at the beginning and jumpstart their own project while coming here enjoying the cascades. And, and chocolate and, and soak into this, this techniques and knowledge that are really kind of basic, but necessary to, uh, to be successful in, uh, in, in this, uh, either, uh, growing food or growing a forest or making an ecosystem. It's so needed, folks. We, we, if we don't do it, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna burn. Right. Eventually, all the pieces of paper with faces on them aren't going to be worth that much if we don't have food to eat. And definitely one of the things that we've talked about is is working with some of the animals that you have here on the farm, the, the cows, the pigs, the chickens, and taking a couple of areas that aren't under production and, and focusing more on nutrition and producing food for the workers, for the community members, um, and that's going to be one of the things that we're going to explore and implement in the, in the upcoming PDC. So, yes, we have, it's been a long term dream of, of doing, of doing this because we're ready to receive people. Uh, and we, we, we want to, uh, also give back to, to, our workers and our associates around in the communities around, and uh, we need to be uh, countering this epidemic of Coca-Cola and Tortrix. Here, people, when they have more money, they think it's a luxury to uh, to drink these sugary drinks and to give it to the kids, and and there is is getting lost to the uh, real food culture. They're not appreciating their, their, uh, ancestral herbs, their natural techniques. They're starting to be brainwashed by TV. Uh, those people who have electricity. And, and so we want to, uh, make food baskets, nutrition program for the people who are collaborating with us. We want to feed ourselves, obviously, and my kids, uh, with, with best quality. Uh, food uh, mostly we want to inspire others and show that it's possible and if you have a dream and a bit of power you can do it wonderful so it really is um this this idea of teaching and sharing this knowledge is it's really quite inspiring to me because it's the old saying i don't know where it comes from that 
life is about finding what your gift is and, and giving it away. So it sounds like you're at that point now where you're you've you've certainly found your gift and now you're you're setting up you're setting yourself up and the place up to share that, huh? I would love to see eventually someone calling me or writing me an email. Look what I've done. Thank you so much to showing me how things like this. Huh? We, uh, I know it's quite a, a, a while from this because, because we, we kept ourselves secret and under, on, underwater. We had so much work, you know, uh, I at the beginning, that I'm gonna plant a forest and and once the trees are planted, I have a good time. But I didn't realize that there's so much maintenance and things going around that, you know. So uh, it's also maybe a reality check on coming here and say uh, this is what can be done, but it requires this and that, you know. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so we're gonna put up. Uh, on our, on the Abundant Native website, we're going to put up a link to the article you wrote recently um, explaining the, the story of cacao and the cacao criollo and also putting up a link to this to this course that's going to take place in January, which will hopefully be the, the first of many, uh, many such joint ventures and, and, and projects based on this idea of of sharing abundance, which is really what the permaculture ethic is is most about uh, so thank you so much for for joining me here today it's i've really really enjoyed um my time here in your in your wonderland and and this interview also thank you for coming again and we we we're gonna have fun in january thank you so much <laughs> we <huh>? sure are <laughs> come join us so before we wrap up this show for the week i've got some exciting news about the upcoming months and I'm joined here now with my good friend and founder of Atitlan Organics, Shad Goodsey. Hey, buddy, what's new? Oh, man, so much is happening. First off, though, I just want to say thanks for having me, man. I really love your podcast, and I actually had a great time doing that interview back in one of the earlier episodes. Anyway, probably what's most exciting is our new collaboration between Atitlan Organics and Abundant Edge. As you know, we've been offering permaculture design courses for over six years now, and they really have become a staple here in Lake Atitlan. In particular, though, the Intro to Permaculture course is just an amazing way for travelers, gardeners, architects, basically anyone to fully immerse themselves in this new paradigm of permaculture design. Like, honestly, you can't take this course and still see the world the same way afterward. Man. Yeah, it's that's life-changing. Sure. But like I said, what I'm most excited about is that now, thanks to our collaboration, we're going to be able to offer your natural building course immediately after every one of our intro to permaculture courses. Literally, this two-week offering is like possibly the most complete package that I know of available anywhere. Basically, with these two courses alone, I think that someone should have everything they need to start their own regenerative project or just their own regenerative lifestyle. That's, that's what I'm excited about, man. But uh, yeah, what about you? What's going on? Man, well, you know already that me and the Abundant Edge team are gearing up for a big season as well. I mean, starting in November, we'll be breaking ground on a regenerative farming demonstration site, which is, of course, right down the hill from your farm. We'll be building animal pens, a classroom, outdoor kitchens, and lounge areas connected to houses, and it's all going to be made out of natural materials. I mean, the site is going to serve as a demonstration farm for perennial and regenerative farming methods for years and years to come. 
And we'll even be offering courses and internship opportunities to people who want to learn for themselves about how to build with natural materials and set up their own farms. Heck yeah. That sounds amazing, man. And honestly, this is just about the best place in the world to learn all these things too. I mean, this little town of Sununa in the gorgeous tropical mountains of Guatemala, like right here on the shores of Lake Atitlan, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And on top of that, you have this traditional indigenous Mayan culture that's still rich and alive. And probably my favorite part is that we have this world international community of alternative people that are open to new ideas and really putting things into practice. I mean, within walking distance of the Bamboo Guest House, you've got loads of things going on. we got the projects that we've already talked about, but you also have yoga retreat centers. You have Charlie Rendell's Natural Bamboo Building School. You have Love Probiotics. you got Fungi Academy. And honestly, loads more alternative, blow-your-mind type stuff. I honestly just feel like this is where it's all happening. Yeah, man, it really does. And I want to get as many people as possible in on these projects, but we've got to make sure that they've got the skills first. So what do you say? Let's offer a big discount to those who sign up for both courses. I mean, all food and lodging in the amazing Bamboo Guest House is already included in the tuition. So this will be like the best deal that we've ever offered. That's a great idea. Because I mean, people can still take just one course if that's what they're into or if they can't make the full two weeks. But this will actually make the two courses more accessible to even a wider audience of people. And that way more people can get the knowledge that they need to get started doing what they want to do. So hey, to all of you listening out there, we really want passionate and driven people like you to come and be a part of the community and the ecosystem that we're building out here. So if you're ready to take the next step and really dive in, there's no better time to invest in yourself by joining us on this journey to a regenerative future. Shad, how can they get in touch with us and see the upcoming events and workshop schedule? For sure. Well, for start, they can either go to atilanorganics.com and click on the workshops tab, or they can check out abundantedge.com and click on the education tab. Either one of these will get you all the information you need for all of the courses that we're offering in the months ahead. We're really looking forward to working and collaborating with all of you inspired and enthusiastic people out there. But even if you can't make it out yourself, I'm sure you know someone in your network who would jump at the chance to get involved in this positive, regenerative, and truly life-changing projects. So this is Oliver Gaucher and Chad Goodsey inviting you to come and be a part of the regenerative future that we are building. Can't wait to see you here. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer, from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, where I share updates and pictures on our projects, regenerative living articles, and even free resources and giveaways. Right now, you can get a discount code for 50% off your digital subscription to the incredible Permaculture Magazine of North America, simply by finding the code under the show notes of this episode. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be a conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you again on next week's session.